0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Joshua Jackson. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisation and to support them in the same way they support their staff every single day of the week. If you're in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, please go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. I am delighted to say that joining me on today's show is Aisha Vardag, the founder and president of the leading UK and international family law firm, Vardags, well known for representing high and ultra-high net worth clientele through complex cases and frequently across multiple territories. Aisha is frequently referred to as Britain's top divorce lawyer, and she is famed for impacting change on UK legislation, forward-thinking acumen, and fearless compassion and logic. Aisha, welcome to the program and Thank you for for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Not a problem at all. It's it's really great to hear from um, you know, top leaders in their fields. And obviously you've been called the UK's top divorce lawyer and have also been hailed by Time magazine as the diva of divorce. As a leader <laughs> in your field within your own rights. Um, when we think of the word leadership, what does that really mean to you and, and what in your opinion does make somebody a good leader?
1: It's an interesting question. Um, I think there are sort of two big elements to it. One is just a willingness, an ability to and a willingness to make decisions. So you, you've got to see a situation and you've got to analyze it and assess it. And then you've got to be willing to make the decision because so often you'll see, well, there's pros and cons of this and that. and You don't know. There are so many variables. You don't know which way to go. But you have to have that sense of right. I'm just going to go this way. I'm going to trust my decision, and I'm going to go with it. And that is a very hard thing to do. That's that's one of the most stressful things I find um, in leadership. Is just being the person that the buck uh, stops with, and that has to make the hard decision. The other thing I think is is almost a sense, almost a kind of tribal sense of commitment. You have to feel very very strong um a very strong sense of of being in a team and wanting to bring that team forward and you know you care about your your tribe your family your community whatever you've created and then your that that creates a really deep commitment to wanting to protect and look after all the people in that and that you know that and to to push the the team that they're all part of with you forward and to do that, you know, in, in a way that's completely integrated with it and leading from the front. So it's that deep commitment to your little group, your organization, your entity, um, that's fundamental too. You have to care, and, and, and in so many of these things, I've always said, commitment is all. Without commitment, people don't invest in you. You don't invest in other people. You can't make any sort of long-term plan. So that deep sense of commitment is, is fundamental.
0: I think that's an, an incredibly uh, you know introspective way of looking at, at sort of leadership. There, you know, you're, you're very you're right on all of those cases. You do need to be able to be sort of forthright and have have conviction. In your direction, but also bringing everybody else alongside you as well. You can't just be overbearing or or forceful um, with the way that you treat your team. They have to believe in that as well and believe in you as an individual. And you know, by the fact that you're recognizing that, I really do think that's you know a perfect sign of somebody that does have the right sort of attributes and and a way to go. Really, but um, now everybody has to start. particular journey somewhere. Um, For you, you studied English literature and law at Cambridge, and you also studied uh, European law in Brussels for a year. Then your early days in the legal sector, or research, international nuclear energy law. and Then after that, you were involved in the legal side of of project finance into multi-billion dollar power stations, diamond mines. Um, What really brought around the motivation for you to change the direction towards divorce and, and family law.
1: <laughs> it was one of those very happy accidents where things going wrong in your life actually lead you to the place that you really prefer to be. Um, I had uh, my marriage break down very sadly, And uh, while I was in the midst of doing all this sort of quite high-powered um, legal, finance and commercial stuff and um and then over the course of working my own divorce case with my divorce lawyer I got very involved because I was a lawyer I wanted to save costs and do things faster so I did a lot of the work um I got involved in a lot of the work and then after my case was all over he hired me and uh and so and because I found it so interesting working through my own I mean incredibly stressful but. interesting and I saw how what you're doing there is dealing with people's lives and their stories and you're trying to sort of capture the essence of their stories and their lives and put them across to a judge who's then going to work it all out and within the premises of the law hopefully give your client what they want and need. It was just such an interesting juxtaposition of the, the legal and intellectual and the profoundly human and also I mean family law is always about the most important things in our lives it's it's about sex and love and homes and children and you know the things that really affect us on the most visceral level rather than you know financial structures and all of that which, which gives some indirect benefits to people but there's not that sense that you're changing you're making a huge difference to someone's life so yeah after, after he hired me I worked for him for a while, then did some time at Queen Mary's um five star law school teaching so that I'd get uh, teaching academically so that I'd uh, get a sense of being totally across every aspect of um of family law. And then I set up uh, set up my firm back in two thousand and five.
0: It's a as you say, a very happy accident there, and obviously family does yeah. it really is the the bedrock of of community and then community is then how we all interact and the foundation of our the way we do things and obviously the legal parameters around that, so really it is at its yeah. most basic level the the most important part of of almost everything mm. that society does so a really yeah. interesting journey and 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 one that I'm sure <laughs> we'll go into in a bit more detail but um um when obviously you were starting out and you made this. You know, change in in your focus, but you were already um you know a, an accomplished lawyer. did you know early on in your your sort of legal career that you wanted to launch your own firm one day, or again was that something that just came came to be
1: no i was never I never considered myself an entrepreneurial person or somebody that would have a their- own business. I always, I was brought up with very strong focus on education. You get yourself super, super educated. You then get into the best institution you can, and you you work your way up to leadership within an existing institution, whatever that is, whether it's you know political or you know government or or law or whatever. That was very much the perspective I was brought up with, and um, and the whole idea of being on, an entrepreneur was sort of. I would never have thought that this would be of interest in me, partly because I find it very difficult in a sort of rather British way to kind of to sell, um, or certainly to sell myself as well. It's not always got easier over the years, but it's much easier if you're, if you know, I find it much easier just to talk about what I'm doing or what I can do about something. But the whole idea of of, of having any kind of sales role always just really put me on and um and also the idea of sort of the the huge financial risk. I came from a, you know, um very sort of financially insecure set uh, setup when I was young. And so the idea of that much risk was terrifying. But I just effectively fell into it because um again, after you know, when I was doing the academic work, um I sort of realised look I need to kind of do some more to generate some more to support my you know another child that I had had and um and I looked at what my options were out there in the market and I, w- I started the whole process of you know applying to law firms again and I felt so depressed at the prospect because I'd had really quite sort of quite difficult experiences I, I, th- I think it's got a lot better now but certainly at that time as a woman with children you were seen as you know just the you know, the the worst kind of employment risk ever. Women were okay, but they were all expected to drop off and disappear um, as soon as they had children. And and so I repeatedly encountered um, people saying, oh, I can't see how, how you could make it in, you know, this profession or this organization mm-hmm. as a divorced mother or, oh, this job that you've been offered, I want to put it on hold until after you've had just, even though I was proposing to have like a three week maternity leave. And inconsistently I have really taken um long maternity leave. And um, you know, it's taken like five weeks or, you know, later um three months, you know, very very short period of maternity leave. The last time uh, the time before last I had actually no maternity leave I was in the office the next wow. day. But but there's this presumption that if you've got children as a woman, you'll you'll kind of be a bit half baked about it all because and and you won't be such a serious or committed player hmm. as a man would be in in the same job, and that's you know very annoying as a woman who does yes. give her all to her work. Uh, but but and I, and I the idea of going back into all of that again and, and coming up against all those sort of you know grumpy old you know old sort of, of people who would <laughs> who would have these kind of presumptions about me it was so depressing that I just thought right I want to try and do things better and differently myself. I want to try and bring it bring a higher level of quality field. And having had a city background, I just I, I felt I had something really new to bring to to what had as a past been a sort of moribund field um, in many ways and didn't have that sort of city city quality and, and had only recently become a field that to some extent across really widely merited that level of quality mm. because it was from 2000 that it became this fifty fifty 50 split of assets. It became a huge money field that would have a massive impact on people. But the field hadn't really caught up with that. So I wanted to, to bring city expertise to that new big ticket mm. area of the law. And I felt that I could bring that. And that was a unique USP. And the academic knowledge I had as family law, as well as the experience I'd had in practice, that I'd really bring something unique. And I thought, right, you know. Time to just grab the moment and um, do it. And then, at the time, there was that song by Gwen Stefani out there that basically goes, "What you, what you're waiting for? What you're waiting? What you waiting? What you're waiting for?" And this was played all the time on the radio. And uh, and I and I kind of thought, you know, and I keep hearing it. Like, no, what are you waiting for? Now is the time to sort of actually see if you can do the things you you think you can do, and just have the courage. The, lead. the other thing was there was a film that other film, generally, I think, quite a dull film with was, was Kevin Costner about building a baseball park in his farm to sort of save the farm. Okay, and uh, it's called The Seal. And um, and then and, and he keeps he keeps having this sort of voice telling him, if You build it, they will come. And uh, my biggest fear was that I put this whole law firm together and then I wouldn't have any clients, and everybody else would laugh at me. And uh, but then I kept listening to this. Right, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. And uh, and and then that's how it sort of started up. But but it was really in my serum, in my house in and I didn't have any you know investments or, or anything like that. I didn't borrow. And I just kind of built it all up sort of step by step um, myself. And first of all, it was you know me and the the cat. And, uh, and and a little, you know, home printer and running up, you know, um, all, all around doing everything myself. Then, you know, after a few months, I had my first employee, which was in itself was, you know, pretty scary because then you become responsible for for other people. And now, you know, now it's come up to over 100 people and it's the biggest family um, you law know, firm. But, but it has been a very organic, very steady growth. I've never wanted to borrow. I've never wanted to take investment. I, I just always wanted to keep just growing according to what we could afford. And so I've been quite a cautious entrepreneur, I suppose, in, in lots of ways. But it is that it, it is always for everyone that hmm. big initial leap of thinking, can I actually make this a reality? And um, yeah, I was, I was lucky in, in that I, I did.
0: And I think we can all agree that when you look back on this, it has been a real, you know, positive, a real benefit. And, and you are leading by example, regardless of whether, as you say, when you started, leadership was a particular thing that you you could do or selling yourself or selling the company was something you can do. Looking back, you've, you've obviously grown as a person and grown the company alongside. And there's an awful lot of people out there that, uh, that have taken notes and seen the quality and the, and the sort of glass ceiling that, that you've smashed. And that really is something <laughs> that, um, um, you know, is, is to be celebrated and, and thought well of. But, um, you know, when you were starting out, when the, you were starting the company, were there, you know, any people or, you know, experiences that helped shape you into to what, where you are today? Was there a support level there for you?
1: I think that there wasn't a female role model out there for me because of my particular situation as a woman with... Children, um, you know, starting up from in what was quite a conventional, and um, sort of in many ways old-fashioned profession, and trying to do things in a new way. There wasn't a there wasn't a role model near me that I could find. But what I found was a really valuable experience um, in in helping with leadership and helping with sort of asserting myself, um, the world as well. Was was actually motherhood because you know, if you're, if you're a single mother and you've got two little boys, you are very lively and you're going around everywhere with them, you have to become quite sort of forceful and strong. You have to become very conscious about being fair and being moderate and being steady and dealing with very stressful situations and thinking, right, okay, here's our plan. This is what we're going to do. And there's nobody to help you. And you just work it all out. And, um, and also you manage people with their stops and their dissensions between them. And you just you just learn to become very, very assertive, quite bossy sometimes, and just very strong in making a clear plan. And that was, um, I mean, so often I, I find you'll have a bunch of people who are sort of bickering about something or, or getting into difficulties, and I will say, Look, no, stop it, you know, stop all this. This is what we need to do. And, uh, and that's so much easier because of having had years of, uh, of doing that with my children. I think motherhood is a very good, um, a very good uh, prep for going into business and going into leadership and management.
0: Well, there's there's two things there that then I'd like to sort of touch on. Really, one is the sort of outside, um, you know, belief that you can be very, you've got a no-nonsense style that that's your your way of doing things. Um, you know, that, that influences the way that you lead and the way. That you work is that something that you think is accurate, and yes. you know when you. Yes. Yes. I think that's
1: absolutely accurate. I always listen, and um, and I'm always really listen- interested in hearing what other people have to say and, and hearing input. But I believe actually that leadership needs a strong decision making centre. Of course, you delegate things to to the people throughout the pyramid as it were to the level of responsibility that's right for them Mm. but ultimately you you need somebody who's just going to say right I've heard everything I thought about all of it and this is what we're going to do otherwise you have this sort of endless government by committee and nobody can decide and you end up with the lowest common denominator just the thing that nobody you know uh, nobody strongly objects to Mm. and uh, and that's not a good it's not a good way to end up because you, you then end up with a very bland, very banal organization that remains, you know, where, where staying the same is always the default. So it doesn't really move forward and yes. doesn't really adapt and there's no room for innovation. So I've always believed, yeah, you need you need very, um, you know, obviously you need kindly, collaborative and um, a, and listening leadership, but you do need strong leadership otherwise. You and your organization, you, you don't make
0: progress. Absolutely. Again, how we've said that need the buck will be stopping with with the leader, but there needs to be that drive and that that focus on on the future. And I, I'm sure yeah. that's that's what is what is coming across. Um and you know, we've spoken a little bit, you've touched on the fact that you started the um the business to get out of the the traditional, but also to support your family, um, mm-hmm. wanting to to take that step and you know, having a work-life balance, especially given the um, last eighteen months, has become something that people are wanting and seeing as a little much more important. And um, you know, how important do you think that is in your particular view?
1: I think work-life balance is incredibly important, but equally, I think it's extremely difficult to obtain. And I'm not, and um, anyone that I have managed to find, you know, the the magic formula for doing it. I have been much more someone who has been very intensely in my work for long periods and then been able to draw back a bit when things are running and let things run with other people a bit more and then have to be back in intensely again. In the quieter times, I'm able to spend more time with my family in the more intense hectic times over my career, frequently I haven't been able to spend much time with them because I've been, you know, uh, out sort of on networking parties till two in the morning, and then starting work on my cases at, at, at five or six. And you know, it's been so intense there hasn't really been any time for anything, or well, I've had to lock myself away in a room at the top of my office, literally for three weeks to write an incredibly complex affidavits and um and i just sort of didn't come out i i ordered food mm. and uh and just sat there for three weeks and wrote this kind of masterwork um and uh and so i've had to do that from time to time i've always had um in consequence of that uh 24 7 child as at least as a backup effectively mm. um even if i had to use it um haven't had to use it and it goes with the nature of work that Potentially twenty four seven as well that you that you need that, but equally there have been long per- periods when I have been able to come out, spend more time with them, go and have um, long holidays together, and actually as a family we're extremely extremely close and we do a lot of things together. Um, so it, it's been a funny old balance. I haven't been, I haven't done many. School runs or not for you know not for long periods of my life, and um you know and i I've made every sort of play or performance or anything big like that, but you know i haven't I haven't been around at the school gates, and that was just one of the sacrifices I've had to make, which lots of people I think would frown upon me for, but interestingly, they don't really frown upon it when it's a man that um that's doing that so <laughs> So uh, there we go. But 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 some, one way or another, it seems to have worked. In that I think you know I find my kids to be absolutely fantastic and really lovely, and we and we are all very close to each other. And um, you know, and so 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 far so good. But of course, long periods of my t- of my time, I've. My, you know, I've been in a state of guilt of thinking I'm not spending enough time with them. I'm, I'm not seeing them enough. We're not close enough. I'm having to delegate my life to other people. And that, you know, that's really obviously not good. But had I not done that, I wouldn't have been able to build something which now is of immense value to them. Two of them are working in the firm. It provides you know, a, a source and a kind of a, a base for the family as a whole and, and has been, therefore, you know, from their perspective, they say it's very much worth it and they all feel very part of it, but it's not perfect and you can't, you know, you can't do that and hope to have the, the same time with your children that you would have if you weren't working.
0: I think the main takeaway there is the fact that you say you are still, you're very close. And that's the main point, isn't it? That, that families are close and that they can be relied yeah. upon when it needs to be. There doesn't need to be in a, a constant inner pocket. And, and you're right. There is a bit of a double standard between what women are expected to do and men. But, um, um, obviously given the, 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 the last eighteen months—that's a lot of these things have really come into perspective as well. Home life, working all the time, having children off of um, school, and COVID nineteen has really caused an awful lot of disruption to so many different sectors. And um, you know, I don't think it would be be right for us to do this without touching on it and how it's affected you and and your organisation really. So, how has that been for you? Yeah, and there
1: have been huge adjustments we've had make because fundamentally we're a, we're a firm that works as an apprenticeship culture we get you know very bright very um very sort of ambitious graduates and we train them by close contact um to people more senior than them who are working on cases and just the process of being you know in a group of people that are that are talking all the time and listening all the time consulting and even just listening to the phone calls that people um, more senior lawyers are having Mm. is a huge part of of the training. So suddenly, we had to deal with not having that during lockdown and that was very tough. Um, Initially, we felt it's just isn't going to work at all. But interestingly, over the time, people have adapted more and more. They're, they're, we're finding more ways to kind of keep the community alive. And, um, and you know, with, with, we've we massively upgraded. Uh, we were already quite geared up from working, but we upgraded that. And now we have a system that everybody seems to, you know, be very comfortable with. So that now we're thinking, okay, we can carry forward. Big chunks of this, even when lockdown is over, because what people seem to want is a real mix. They want the community of being in the office, that sense of coming in, being part of something, going somewhere away from home to be, to separate their work and their mm. and their home life. Um, and, and just the friendship, the camaraderie, the support that you need in work, particularly in stressful work like litigation. Mm. Um, and uh, so they want that, but we've appreciated um more time at home, partly for doing the quiet sort of work that you know similar to when I had to lock myself up three weeks to not see anyone oh, to do an affidavit sometimes for doing that quiet kind of deep thinking, quite creative work, you want to be on your own and um and also um you know to keep people having to travel or whatever it's just kind of nice couple of days a week to have that that option so people seem to be. Uh, on balance, having canvassed this massively, seem to be happy with the degree of flexibility but about three days in the office, and that is enough to keep a community going and keep training going, mm. and also to give people the sort of happiness that's increased. The, the nature of has changed a lot. The other thing I find that's really difficult is you can't really tell what things you what impact things you're doing have. So if you make some rather change or improvement or whatever, you know, you can't really see what the effects are because it's much more dependent on whether there's a lockdown or whether you've just come out of the lockdown or whatever. And and that's become the biggest driver of people's behaviour. So it's quite difficult to, you know, to make judgments based on what you're doing within your business when there are such big external forces at Mm. play. But, you know, slowly, hopefully things will just settle down We'll stop having these, you know, lockdowns and, and then everybody's businesses can just stabilise so that they can see where they're going and how many people they're going to need and what they need to be doing. And I think uncertainty has just been terribly, terribly difficult for, for our economy. I really think, you know, stability now and, um, you know, everything to encourage um Sort of investment and money and people with money back into England um, will make just the most immense difference because you know that's what everyone in England needs. The end, the instability and the end to people kind of getting out of England.
0: Yes, you are absolutely right on that one. Just a brief period, or not even not brief, but um, just a period of. of you know, increased normality back, international travel, getting people yeah. back in, into the office, even, you know, partly getting back those, um, those conversations that you can have with staff and and with, you know, business yeah. partners and, and clients that you get to see the yeah. non-verbal cues. You get to, you get to feel the emotional response from people. And that's one thing that you obviously can't do regardless of how good technology has got made leaps and bounds in communication over the last 18 months. And it's meant that. You know, we've had to touch on sort of mental health um across both yeah. personally and um you know making sure that, that the mental health of workforce is there because this is mm. all about external pressures. It isn't just about work, it's about what's happening to, to family, what's happening to, you know, the potentially of future uh job prospects of of learning. And you're right against sort of staying staying in, but um, you know, how do you feel you you know you've you've managed to safeguard the sort of mental health of yourself of, of the workforce? How have you sort of adapted to that?
1: I mean, I think that mental health is always a huge issue with work, and as I say as I said, particularly stressful work. And so much work now is so stressful because so much is is required in order to perform in a very competitive environment. Uh, but litigation is particularly stressful. As I would say mm. you know, litigation mitigation, you're not paranoid because the other side really is out to get you. <laughs> and uh, so it is a very, it's a very sort of um, hostile environment. often. You need a lot of support from your colleagues and you need to keep your mental health very robust. You need to, you know, you need to have lots of exercise. You need to be, you know, stay healthy and, like not drink too much. or, And it, you kind of need to hone yourself like, like an athlete to be able to, to, um, think stay strong mentally to deal with those pressures. Um, I think it's always a problem. It's more of a problem with with COVID, with sort of economic uncertainty. And also, yeah, we have had some people who have been kind of overwhelmed by what's Mm -hmm. happened within their families when they've had, you know, significant losses. You know, Mm -hmm. that's such a terrible thing to experience. And um, so, uh, yeah, some people have been very, very personally affected. But I I think it's very... I think generally it's very difficult and, and I think um this combination of partly mental health issues being better recognised now and not something that taboo and people can accept that you know people can have those issues and still be um very well functioning and that enables people to you know, to talk more freely. Um but also that you know that these issues have come up because of problems in society, problems of of loneliness and disconnection in relationships, problems of stress, um, problems of lack of community and <laughs> there's so many problems that, that cause um mental health difficulties. And um and you know, it, it's a huge problem. It, it's mm. something I've, you know, had to pretty much deal with myself and, and I think a higher level of um awareness now among the problems that you know, CEOs, founders' presidents, et cetera, face. Mm. Um I've certainly I mean Historically, I'm someone who's wrestled with depression and that's been something, you know, really throughout my whole life, um, which is sort of actually helped. But, um, I've been working very hard and being very really, really helpful for that and the work that you can do is have a nice relaxing life. and relaxing um, but But stress, the stress is on you. It's huge because it is that sense that you're responsible for this whole thing. You've built this big edifice and it's all been built Tailored to certain objectives, to certain parameters, because that's what you expect. But you know that it's effectively always kind of walking a tightrope. Because if that dramatically changes, then you're going to have to restructure everything, and, and it, you know, and it pulls the rug out from under you. So every single decision you make is weighted with that degree of kind of of importance and stress and, and fear, effectively. And if you let it. Then the fear can paralyse you and burn you out, and um, yeah, it is it, something you have to be really, really conscious of. And the biggest thing I found is you just have to take real breaks. There was there were years I just didn't take any breaks. I always had my phone with me, and I was always doing everything. And as I said, I had like, you know, I was in the office the next day after mm-hmm. <laughs> after my fourth child was born. You know, it just gets too much, and then you have to say, "Right, I'm going to have a month that I'm not going to communicate with anyone or see anyone. I'm going to disappear." And and uh, you you start out with that, then, then then after a bit, you can kind of manage it and, and have shorter periods. But recently, I went I went somewhere to I wanted one of the things I do, to, you know, for recreation is is to write creatively, and I went off somewhere and I I put my phone literally in the safe in the hotel and um and locked it with it with its password and of course, of course, I could have gone back and got it, but just locking it in there with its with its password meant that i it was such a mental sort of shutting down and sense of relief that I was actually free of the constant demands a little bit, and you know i did that I did that for any four days, and it was enough mm. um so. So it can, you know, but, but you have to you have having it. It's so easy just to think, no, no, why don't I just do it? Why don't I just carry on? And then you end up
0: Out of sight, out of mind. And you're right there as well. It's a, a good chance for a digital detox. But given the challenges of the last 18 months, uh, the changes to the economy and the the sort of pressures on young people that are trying to learn and and sort of trying to succeed, um, do you have any particular advice for those that are are coming up, um, those that are finishing university, those that are wanting to look ahead and start planning their own business and their own enterprise? So the advice
1: I'd have for young people wanting to go into business now or, or into the law and particularly for young women um, is to first of all, get yourself really prepared. You really, really know your stuff and you have confidence in, in your knowledge and your opinion. And then just really have the courage of your convictions. And if somebody tries to to shout you down assuming that you, you know you're not. if you're in a very junior position obviously you have to be quite humble and just make yourself indispensable and uh, and give what you can but not you know not assert yourself too much but as soon as you, you're in a position where you're among peers um and somebody tries to shout you down or not listen to you for whatever reason which can be because you're a woman because that you know that's still happening you just have to be willing to speak louder I mean, I, I've sometimes been in situations where I've, where I've said, no, hold on. And I've kind of thumped the table and said, no, listen, listen to what I'm saying. And, uh, and which gives everybody a bit of a shock. But then they do listen to you. And, uh, and sometimes you have to do that a lot more. I don't really have to do it now, but I had to do it a lot more at the beginning of my career before everybody, you know, really took me seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, you do have to kind of be that much Louder and tougher and more assertive when you're either quite young or you're a woman, so people get that you mean business and you're not willing to be, you know, swept aside or or steamrolled over. You just have to, you know, you have to be willing to have a loud voice and you have to be willing to set out your opinions. You can't be too fast about what people think of you, and uh, you just have to know what what's right to do and then be very, very clear about putting it out there.
0: So know your stuff, have a thick skin, but also be forthright in the way that you are putting yourself across, and um, you know making sure that, that you get the most out of the opportunities they've given to you. I think that's uh, uh, some fan- yeah. fantastic advice there, um, But lastly, before we go, um, with sort of social restrictions um, easing, if not gone, um, in England and across the UK, um, but still with a bit of sort of. You know, uncertainty over the trajectory of the pandemic um, over the winter periods. Um, You know, what do you see happening for Vardags over the next 12 months? And um, do you have any personal ambitions um, going forwards?
1: The the main thing that uh, I want to do is just to achieve stability um, rather than, because what we found is broadly, you know, work keeps coming, but it's very lumpy. It's like it's quieter with the lockdown and it goes mad. You know when people come out of lockdown, and you know, and it's very uneven. So people are either a bit quiet or are massively busy. I really want to achieve stability and the sort of evenness that we used to have, which always has a bit of seasonal variation, but basically is is something steady and something you can manage and expect. And that's a good climate within which to build, to invest, to be able to um, to long term plan. So that that's what I most want to achieve over the next. Yeah, it's just that good, solid stability, which is the right time for growth. For um, really personally, I want to try to achieve a bit more of that, and this is um, like my salad And I um, hopefully hmm. have got to days with such a good team around me that, um, that I can, you know, just have a little bit more personal more time, and that's something I would value immensely. You know,
0: I think that's something we're all looking for, isn't it, on those two sides. One, just a little <laughs> bit more time and two, stability. Yeah. And on that note, I would really like to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you um, and it'd be great to hear from you again in the future as well, once we have turned this corner and um, we can speak in a little bit more depth about you know how we're looking ahead. Fantastic. Really look forward to that.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was Aisha Vardak, one of Britain's top solicitors. A really interesting take on her own experiences, how she's got to be where she is, as well as advice for those that are looking ahead to their own futures. This was the Leaders' Council podcast, and I'm Joshua Jackson. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode. Goodbye.